Each year as a church family, it is our privilege to speak to the sanctity of human life. And those who have been with us over the years know that we have consistently addressed this issue as one that is near to the heart of God. Uh, every Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, at least in recent years, we've read that glorious psalm that Jim read earlier, Psalm 139, about the Lord who made us in the womb and knew us in the womb and has prepared all of our days. I'm eager to share with you today uh, on the sanctity of human life. Our sermon title is Justice for the Oppressed Unborn. And I'd like to invite you to turn to Jeremiah 22. One of the reasons I care so much about this issue is that the year that I was born, 1980, uh, abortion in Pennsylvania reached a high point that year with 65,000 lives in that one year alone in Pennsylvania lost to abortion. Um, I am among those who lived. And over the years, I have studied this issue. I have wept. I have prayed outside Planned Parenthood. I have spoken up for the rights of the unborn. We as a church together have been engaged in this issue, and there is still so far to go, and yet we have seen God use our pro-life engagement as a church family, and I have seen abortion rates in the state of Pennsylvania decline to the point of reportedly being less than half of what it was when I was born, and I have seen the number of abortion clinics in PA decline even more drastically. As a church, we thank God for what he has done and is doing, and we will continue to engage this issue with a sense of urgency until we have seen the day that abortion is unthinkable and unavailable. Because, because of what God's word says, about the value of every human life and the importance of justice, we champion the right to life and we long to see the end of abortion. Uh, one name before we jump into the text that I want you to be familiar with is Scott Klusendorf. He's the president of Life Training Institute. Uh, you can look up Life Training Institute. They do phenomenal work. He's written one of my favorite books on the pro-life cause. I went back and reread it just this week called The Case for Life. And one of the things that Klusendorf explains is that we are not primarily engaging hardcore abortion choosers which is actually a very small group. Uh, he says we're after the 60% of Americans in the middle who think of themselves as pro-choice because they value women and have never thought seriously about the choice they are advocating. And if that is you, I thank you for being here or for tuning in. I thank you for listening. Uh, I commend your valuing of women. And I want, you to, I want to invite you to consider God's perspective on the unborn. We'll read from Jeremiah 22, the first nine verses. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Thus says the Lord, 
Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak this word there and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who entered these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons. And they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city and every man will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. May God... Bless the preaching of his word. The prophet Jeremiah was called by God at a young age to bring an unpopular message to a troubled and declining nation. A nation that was on the brink of divine judgment. Jeremiah prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in the hands of the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. The prophet was called by God to weep over the people. He was called by God to call them to repentance and to speak an unpopular message. We believe that we need to be open to hearing things. When it comes to God speaking, we need to posture ourselves to hear things that we may not agree with, things that may make us uncomfortable. Because we do not make God in our own image. We say, Lord, what do you say? And Jeremiah throughout his career was despised and persecuted and hated for what he spoke. Ultimately, the prophet Jeremiah in Scripture points forward to another prophet who was to come. The ultimate and final word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who like Jeremiah was despised and rejected and died on the cross for our salvation. We can't read The rejection of the prophet Jeremiah without thinking of the rejection of the prophet Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jeremiah 19 describes the evil in the land at that time. God says in chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, The people have forsaken me. They have filled this place with the blood of innocents by burning their own children in the fire as burnt offerings. Is part of the injustice that was going on in Israel. 
And here in chapter 22, Jeremiah addresses the kings of Judah who had failed as shepherds and leaders. In the next chapter, chapter 23, Jeremiah will bring a message of hope. There he promises a faithful shepherd. There he promises one who will care for the people and reign with wisdom and justice. In 23 verse 5, it speaks of Christ when it says that God will raise up a righteous branch of the line of David. Verse 6 says, He will save us and His name will be called the Lord our righteousness. This is none other than our Savior. There is none like Him. The Lord our righteousness. We are a sinful people But for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the Lord, our righteousness. But here in Jeremiah 22, the prophet thunders forth a warning from the Lord to do justice. Verse 3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Thus says the Lord, seek justice for others, and especially for the many who are oppressed and underprivileged. The weaker and more vulnerable a group is, the greater the moral obligation to defend and do justice. Christian, get God's passion for biblical justice. Learn his heart for the resident alien, the orphan, the widow, the innocent. The God of Scripture is the champion of the marginalized and the oppressed. And Jeremiah goes on to say that if the people fail to establish justice, if they fail to heed the word of the Lord, then the nation will come to ruin as every great nation has throughout history. The moral health of a nation can be judged by how the weakest members of society are treated. And the nation, Jeremiah says, is not as secure as you think. Verse 6 says, Jerusalem and its temple are like the majestic Gilead and Lebanon in their glory. But the failure of justice in the land will inevitably lead to calamity and desolation. And sadly, the people did not receive Jeremiah's warnings. They ignored the voice of God. They ignored his heart for justice. And the results were absolutely devastating. We, as the people of Christ in the world today, are commanded to seek justice for the oppressed. And this has numerous applications in our lives and in our nation. Today, we focus on justice for the oppressed unborn. The pro-life position is very clearly supported by science, philosophy, images, our conscience, and above all, scripture. The baby in the womb is a person. The difference between who I am today 
and who I was in my mother's womb is not the difference of human personhood. Just because some people are smaller than others or less developed than others or more dependent upon others or in a different environment, including inside or outside of the womb, these things have no bearing whatsoever on a person's value. They have no bearing on their status as human beings. The unborn have the same right to life as we do because they are precious human beings who bear the image of the God who made us. We value the unborn. And yet, and yet there is a genocide that continues in 2021 throughout the world and in America in which 2,000 unborn children are killed every day. In verse 9, Jeremiah talks about false gods. Our nation has gone after the false gods of comfort, convenience, and self. And as a result, precious image-bearing children are dying violent and unjust deaths, and the law of the land offers them no protection, and so we weep. There is presently no more severe example of oppression, violence, and injustice in our nation than the bloodshed of the innocent unborn. It is a matter, literally, of life and death. Now, in addressing the issue of abortion as a church, there are certain things that we need to emphasize, and these are the things that we always emphasize, but it is no trouble at all to repeat these things because it frames so much of our pro-life engagement and how we as a church need to be equipped to think about these things. So let me just briefly give four points here that you can take with you and put over a banner as a banner over every pro-life message you hear us communicate. First, and this cannot be said loudly enough, there is forgiveness in Christ for every sin. There is forgiveness in Christ. If you have had an abortion or participated in one, you do not need to live under the guilt of that sin any longer because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Abortion is a tragedy. We don't minimize the destruction and the evil of abortion. What we do realize is that that tragedy provides an extraordinary opportunity for the church of Christ to minister the grace and healing that are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a church family, we show compassion to those dealing with the guilt depression, grief, and shame of having chosen abortion. Second, it also needs to be emphasized that abortion transcends the political. Uh, abortion certainly influences our political engagement because we want to see just laws that protect our most vulnerable. A politician who supports uh, killing any group of people is not a just leader. 
But this is not primarily a political issue. It is a biblical issue. And what that means is that we believe Christians across the political spectrum must care deeply about the unborn. But we're not speaking into this issue from the vantage point of a particular political party, but from the vantage point of the word of God. Spend any amount of time in our church and you will quickly learn that we are not captive to any political party, nor are we united around support for or opposition to any political party. Christ is the center. Third point that needs to be said whenever we talk about this, our, our pro-life engagement is marked by convictional kindness. Convictional kindness. We are not cultural warriors who join in the yelling and the name-calling and the sinful anger. We make it our aim to never be needlessly offensive, rude, or combative. Yes, we speak courageously. Yes, we speak truthfully, but also with gentleness and with respect. So that, and this is probably not what you encounter on Facebook or social media or so many places in our culture, so that the manner of our engagement reflects the gospel and the heart of Christ. And fourth, the Bible has a holistic vision of justice that values life from the womb to the tomb. God is a God of justice and the kingdom of Christ is to be distinguished by Compassion and justice for all who are afflicted and needy. In the words of Jeremiah, Christians are to do justice and righteousness. Now, over the, over the past year, there has been a lot of talk in our culture about justice. Much of that has come from a secular, human-centered worldview that has redefined biblical terms, which means Christians, as the people of God, must use great discernment in how we engage the social justice movement of our day. We cannot buy everything our culture is selling in the name of justice. At the same time, Christians who have God's heart for justice should rejoice to see, and we've seen it throughout this last year and in recent years, that unbelievers are capable, because of God's common grace, of putting a spotlight on injustices and of calling for justice. There is sexism and slavery and racism and abuse and other injustices that are present in our nation. Some Christians have responded to the social justice movement by denying the presence of social injustice, by downplaying uh, oppression as a, as, a, as a biblical category of suffering, and by ignoring the rich, rich biblical teaching on justice. That is a mistake. It is a very good thing to care about justice in education, policing, incarceration, housing, hiring, and more. It is good for all people, Christians and non-Christians, to be aware of the injustices in our world, genuine injustices where they exist, and work toward a more just society. Yet what I find so inconsistent and even so shocking is that 
for so many advocates of social justice. The millions of defenseless unborn people who are killed every year in the womb don't fit their definition of the oppressed. So many who claim to care deeply about all injustice in society and are addressing a wide range of justice issues have, by and large, been tragically silent and passive or actively unjust and violent when it comes to seeking justice for human lives in the womb. Every abortion is an abuse of power. Our vision of justice has something to say here. It can be so hard for all of us who are no longer in the womb. It can be so hard for us to see our privilege. We have post-birth privileges that pre-born people do not enjoy in the womb. They feel pain, but they are too weak to fight back. They are victimized, but they have no voice. Who will stand up for them? Who will speak out for them? Who will act on their behalf? A vision of justice in society that has nothing to say in defense of the unborn is a vision that has lost its biblical and moral compass or never had it to begin with. It is an indictment on our nation that we have not had a civil rights movement for the unborn. It is an indictment that there is no national public outcry for the shedding of innocent blood. It is a tragedy that in all of the messages from professional sports addressing a wide range of justice issues, from voter reform to education reform to the dignity of black life and the protection of women, many of which we say yes and amen and it's needed. Yet it is a tragedy that there are no jerseys that address abortion. There are no end zones that say end abortion. I am not minimizing the importance of pursuing justice in other areas or calling attention away from other genuine injustices where they exist. Christians do not play the issue comparison games that you see in so much of politics and social media. We don't bring up abortion and leverage this issue to minimize other areas of injustice or to pit one justice issue against another. The Christian response to the many injustices of our world is not but what about abortion? The Christian response is to weep at every injustice and to thank God that there are people focusing their efforts and attention on other areas of injustice. Not every Christian is going to speak and work equally in every area of justice. We need Christians speaking and working towards justice for minorities and for the poor, and we need Christians speaking and working toward the protection of the unborn, and we need those Christians to not argue with each other or seek to minimize the justice issues that the other person is advocating for in our nation, but instead encourage each other and work together toward a holistic vision of justice that reflects the heart of God in his word. 
What I'm appealing for, what I'm appealing for, and what Scripture demands is a more biblical and consistent pursuit of justice that includes the lives of the unborn. In fact, if you care about racism or sexism, and you should and you must, then you will inevitably care about abortion as an expression, follow this, as an expression of those sins because abortion disproportionately affects and targets women and minorities. If it didn't, it would be just as evil because we're talking about the taking of innocent and defenseless human life. But should we not care all the more when we consider that there is in this nation an unjust abortion industry that systemically and disproportionately victimizes women, children, the poor, the disabled, and minorities. It makes no sense for us to say, for anyone to say, I am for racial justice and for abortion. It's a contradiction. Greg Morse, in an article he wrote, for desiring God on abortion, says this. He says, we detest racial supremacy in all forms, especially against the most vulnerable minority population on the planet, which is the unborn. We detest racial supremacy in all forms, especially that manifestation of racial supremacy on a systemic level in our nation that is the abortion industry. Likewise, it makes no sense to say that you are for women's health and for abortion when sex-selective abortions are targeting unborn girls. And when studies show that so many women who choose abortion report feeling pressured by others, most of them, the studies show, thinking that it's morally wrong and feeling guilty. So many women, over 80% according to one 14-year study, so many women experiencing mental health problems post-abortion. If you want to stand with women and for women, then take a stand against the abortion industry and its merciless exploitation of women. You can care about women and children. You can care about children who have been born and children in the womb. The pro-life movement has been doing all of those things, this holistic care, for decades. And it's what we seek to do in our engagement as a church. Let me give this caution as well. I was thinking about this theme and the timing of a call to justice at this time in our nation and thinking about our, our church in particular. And I want to give a caution. Christians today, especially younger Christians, need to realize that some justice issues are trendy, but others are not. What I mean is that speaking to some justice issues will win you the applause of the world 
while other issues will not. You probably already know that. But I want to plead with you as a church family to not crave the world's approval, to not crave anyone's approval when it comes to the truth of God's Word. There are a growing number of Christians who are adopting a vision of justice that is formulated according to godless thinking and doesn't include anything that the world would reject. And, and my concern is this, that the Christian who craves social acceptance is on the path that has led some to abandon the faith because the world will not applaud you for following a crucified Messiah. We are not the popular. We are not the trendy. We are the faithful. We are the Christ followers and Christ worshipers. God has defined justice and righteousness for us. We are to be faithful stewards of his word. And he has given his son to us that we might be cleansed of our injustice and unrighteousness and that we might be empowered to follow and obey the Savior. The day is coming, and I think about this day. I, I hope and pray that I'll speak with my grandkids about it. The day is coming when abortion will be seen by all as we now see gas chambers and slavery and lynching and sex trafficking. And I want to be able... I want to be able to look back and say we did our part. We, did, we, we were not passive when it came to the heart of God for biblical justice and the unborn who are oppressed. Some may choose to give to pro-life ministries. Some may support a local pregnancy center. Some may use their voice and their platform wherever they have it to speak for the unborn. Some may preach, some may adopt, some may write or call a state representative, some may march, some may fast and pray, some may work to change laws, some may work to persuade others. All are needed. Let's continue to engage with grace and truth. Let's not grow weary in doing good. And let's testify to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin, to advance biblical justice, and to change lives for the glory of Christ. Amen.